ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Evening Junk. I'm trying to think about what excitement has come from my life since the last time I talked to you. It was a holiday. That was cool. Oh, any of y'all watch Snowfall? I ran through the three seasons of Snowfall um, in about a week. I think it's pretty good, right? Like, there are definitely some points at which it requires some uh, suspension of disbelief. And there are absolutely moments where they're like, damn, we need to hurry up and get to the next thing. It doesn't matter how plausibly we get there. We just need some vehicle to allow us to make this next move, right? Sometimes this happens. All right. I just want to point something out about Snowfall as I'm watching it. And if you don't know, it's like about the, you know, the arrival of crack into Los Angeles, right? Like it's a free, a free Ricky, Ross, Ricky Ross type situation. All right. It's been a while since we got like a gold medal acting performance where the character is a crackhead. Like, when's the last time we got a real Hall of Fame crackhead uh, portrayal on screen? And when I say crackhead, I mean someone addicted to crack, right? Don't give me your cinematic um, heroin addicts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking very particularly about a crackhead. Because there is, like, I don't want to give nobody nothing on no plot, but if you watch it, you know what I'm talking about. There is a gold medal crackhead performance in Snowfall. And I am going to tell you about something that this crackhead did. It's not a spoiler. It's not going to affect your ability to watch the show. And, like, if you watch the show later you're probably going to see it and be like, oh, damn, that's right. That's what Bomani was talking about. This crackhead fell out of a moving car, hit the street, and in a fell swoop, hit the rock. Like all in one motion. Now, I see somebody in the chat room talking about Tyrone Biggins is like the last great crackhead performance, which honestly, there's some credence to it, right? But I need you to imagine a crackhead that is like kind of sort of as funny as Tyrone Biggins, except this is like some real thespianism um, that's going on in this. Anyway, I mentioned this because I was walking around the neighborhood and saw somebody fire up a rock on the street. I hadn't seen nobody, like, actually fire up a rock on the street in quite a long time. Like, I'm trying to think of the last time that I saw somebody. And and this is in the middle of the afternoon. Like, I've been seeing people shoot up for a while, you know. I'll be real with you. Until the wire, I ain't even really know people still did that. I had no idea, right? Like, I, I don't know. But it had been a long time since I saw somebody fire up a rock. And Buddy fired up a rock. And I was just like, hey, man, I guess I need to just, uh, I just need to keep this moving. Um, But yeah, I do recommend Snowfall. Again, it requires a measure of suspension of disbelief. 
but it's worth checking out. I don't watch TV shows too often. I came across that when I found it to be entertaining. I think that may be the single, like, most eventful thing um, that I can give you out of my life, like, other than going in today to get a deep cleaning. Any of y'all ever, I, I'll talk about this. Like, I feel like this is something that people can relate to. Uh, how many of y'all ever had to go in uh, for the deep cleaning at the dentist? And the deep cleaning happens when you take too long in between regular cleanings. Okay? And that kind of happened to me because it is COVID. Because, all right, small flex time. Small flex time. I really like my dentist in Miami. And when I moved here, I was in the middle of an orthodontic, you know, one of the invisible orthodontic things. And so I kept my dentist in Miami and I would like use the dentist as an excuse to go to Miami for a couple of days. You know what I mean? But then the COVID hit. So I hadn't been able to keep up with the dentist and I had to go into the dentist because one of my teeth broke. That was kind of whack. Yeah, tooth just broke. So anyway, one of my teeth broke. And so I had to go in. And then while she was in there uh, looking around at my teeth, she was like, ooh, I don't see very much space between those. All right. And so it was like, OK, it's time for the deep cleaning. So I went in for the deep cleaning and the deep cleaning, for those of you who don't know, requires some local anesthesia. All right. Now, I may have told you guys this, but I had like a child life phobia of needles past the point of being a child. At the same time, it also somehow was not until I was an adult that I realized that I was receiving injections at the dentist. Like my dentist growing up ran an amazing con to make you not know they were shooting you up. Man, one time I had some dental work done as an adult and something happened and I opened my eye and I saw that that the, the the syringe that they used to uh, put it to, to hit you with, and that was the most terrifying moment of my life. And you know why it was so terrifying? How is it that dental tools have not, at least aesthetically, evolved? Like they look like they using the original syringes, like before plastic was invented, syringes. And I just don't understand why. Like, there's just no way. Why is it that it, the only way that they can numb up your mouth is with these metal joints? I can't be the only person who finds that to be maddening. Like, I don't even want to look at the tray when I first get in there, man, because that shit all look old as hell. Like, whenever you look up clips, like, I, I used to watch, uh, what was that show on HBO? Uh, Boardwalk Empire. And they had some scenes where they, like, go, you know, the doctor's office from back in the day. And it always looked like something terrible about to happen as soon as they break out the equipment because it all looks so primitive. That's how the dentists look in 2020. That's all I'm saying. And shout out to every one of you assholes in the chat room like trying to explain it. Like, Probably to save costs. Shut up and laugh, man. You understand what it is that I'm talking about. You feel like you're going back in time when you look over there on that tray. Right, you cats out here trying to outsmart the game right now, talking about scary ass dental equipment. Who raised you? Anyway, so I went in for the deep cleaning today. Man, 
my mouth was numb for three hours after the fact. And so apparently, I don't know if this is every insurance company, but my insurance company will only allow them to do the deep cleaning one side at a time. So I'd already had one side done, and then I got this other side done. And they do an amazing job of shooting you up symmetrically, right? Like the numb, like you said, a little split, right? You know, the, the right, right, you know, that, the, you know, where, where, where your lip go in a little bit right there, right? You know that? It was like right down the middle of that, the numbing was so perfect. I was out here feeling like Two-Face. Like, the term I use to describe my mouth, honestly, I don't know if it's ableist or not, so I'm not going to do it. I'll just say that I felt like I was in one of those unfortunate predicaments where something happens to you medically and suddenly you can't use one half of your body like you used to. Like, that's how my mouth was feeling. I try to drink, like, I've never, you know, people talk about, like, you go to the dentist, you try to drink water and it goes down your face. I never had that happen to me before in my life, right? No matter what it is they try to do, that had never happened ever before in my life. I was sitting on the couch working on a computer and trying to drink some water, man. I thought I was about to electrocute myself. And, and, I, I, and, I, and I was peeping it as it was happening, right? Like, like, before the actual dribble happened, I was like, okay, I got this water in my mouth, but damn, I can't, like, there's a little, there's a little trickle down going here, okay. But the problem was, once you got the water in your mouth, you basically have two options. It can dribble down your face, or you can drown. That's it. And I would like to note, I have absolutely no explanation for why it is that the dribbles even happened in the first place, because just because I couldn't feel my mouth didn't mean I didn't know how to control it. Like, it wasn't like I was walking around with half of my mouth open, right? I wasn't walking around like, you know, because I couldn't move. I wasn't doing that. I was pushing that thing down. That water was just running away, man. And I tried to save it, and I almost died. I almost died. Anyway, I say all that to say, go get your teeth cleaned regularly. Go ahead and do that. It's a very, very good idea. Anyway, let us move on to your question. Wow, you guys are really into this one topic. I guess I'll go ahead and pretend to care as much as y'all do. If your restaurant has a DJ who plays throw that ass and you serve drinks and douce bottles, do you have the right to be mad if random twerking happens? All right, so it's this thing on the internet. I finally saw it the other day. And a gentleman who owns a restaurant, where was that? Was that in D.C.? I think it was in D.C. Anyway, apparently somebody got up and started twerking at the restaurant. The manager or the owner, whoever the hell he was, he got on the microphone and started talking about how distasteful he found the twerking to be and how he opened up that restaurant so black people could have a place that was nice and where they could go, but that this woman besmirched the niceness of that place by standing up and twerking in his restaurant. And my first thought upon... Oh, it was Dallas. It was Dallas, okay. My first thought upon seeing that video was, yo, why are so many people there? I can't be the only person who felt that way. Like, the idea that a restaurant in 2020 is expecting enough people to come 
that it is worth the money for you to hire a DJ. What are y'all doing? It was deep in there. He worried about twerking. Yo, that is the least of your concerns. You wanted to have a nice place for black people to go and catch COVID together, apparently. Like, that's what he was looking for. All right. Like, that, that's, 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 that's the real problem there. Now, I also think, man, let's, let's, let's be honest here, okay? Um, he got a DJ. Okay, that's cool. But if ain't everybody dancing, that usually means nobody's dancing. All right? Like, I don't think that the owner or whatever is necessarily wrong for saying it ain't that type of party. Right? I'm sure y'all could imagine a bunch of different restaurants where if that woman had started twerking in that restaurant, you'd have been like, yo, you need to chill out right now, right? Like, it didn't look like everybody was in there ready to dance, right? Okay, do you think that woman was sober in this moment, given that this appeared to be one of the brunches people just stick around and, and, and get lit all day, lit all day? Like, do you think that's what happened? I mean, like, so... I, I, I'm not even like no super crazy moralist about these things. I feel the same way as somebody started doing the centipede in the aisle, right? Like, what are you doing right now? Ain't nobody out here kicking it like that. I think that that right there is a fair point. He just decided to go on and on and on about that, though. And this is just the moment for me to remind you of something that somebody once told me about Dallas. It's one of those cities that the civil rights movement never really got to. And them dudes talk funny. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Do you think Obama had a good point when he said defund the police may turn possible supporters away? Yes, he did have a point. I'm not saying that he did. I am saying that I think it is entirely possible. And I do believe as a rhetorical device, defund the police doesn't really like, it requires someone to say, what do you mean? And then from there you explain it. The problem is, I don't even know, no, no, because I think I was about to say it doesn't necessarily make any sense. I can see how people get confused and turned off by that phrasing. Right? And you can say what you want about Obama. If the man knows nothing, he knows how to win white folks over and get them to vote for him. Right? Like, I don't think you can really argue um, against that one. He knows that. And so I think you have to give some credence to him in terms of experience on that one. The problem um, with that stuff I saw from Obama is what the problem has been or something I've seen as a problem from him and spoken to him, spoken on many times, which is 
He don't lecture nobody but us. Now, he doesn't talk down in those ways to anybody but us. That's the annoying part. And it's been like that from the jump. Here's what the mistake I think a lot of black people made about this. I think a lot of black people were projecting onto Obama and they believed that some of his more milquetoast moderate stances um, were simply because a black man as the president of the United States could not be more radical on those matters. So he was saying what you had to say in order to please white people. Um, and I can understand to a degree why you might think he would do that generally. And also, like, remember, he was the dude that was opposed to gay marriage until he wasn't. And it seemed pretty clear. And I think he's even said that he was actually OK with gay marriage. He didn't think he could say it out loud. And so maybe you hope that that's how he felt about matters when it came to black people. But at some point, people are going to have to realize that you basically got 12 years of him saying the same things, which is to say that this is the man that he is. And it's the man that he has always been. Like, I don't think Obama really tried to convince you that he was something that he wasn't. And somebody's saying he's not moderate. On matters of race, I think it's fair to say that he's moderate. And Obama's problem when it comes to race is that Obama underestimates just, like, how powerful the racism of the United States can be. Or perhaps a better phrasing is like he underestimates how powerful, how powerful it is. And he is dedicated. And, and I get why he's like this really just in a general like rhetorical sense for him. He doesn't see any value in saying something that he thinks is going to turn people off. The problem is there is no way to talk about race in an effective functional way in this country without turning somebody off. Like, if you're worried about offending white people when you're talking about race, you ain't never going to say shit. Period. <clears throat> That's it. Like, there's no way around it. Right? That's like saying you want to do therapy that never has any hard questions. Like, that's basically what it comes down to. You can't do a damn thing talking about race that ain't going to hurt white folks' feelings in the process. No matter how wiggy woke or whatever they say they are, there's no way to do it. And Obama is skilled at saying things in ways that don't hurt white people's feelings. And you stick too tough to that about race and you, like, you kind of become useless. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Who would you use for your lifeline if you were going for the million on who wants to be a millionaire? Um, <clears throat> I am imagining that whoever has raised this question saw that uh, David Chang, the uh, famous chef, um, he called Mina Kimes as his lifeline on who wants to be a millionaire. And she gave him the right answer and won and David Chang won a million dollars for some charity. And so I get that. That means you now come ask me who it is that I would pick as my lifeline or who wants to be a millionaire. And I mean, the answer's got to be Mina Kimes, right? 
hey, Bomani, this person you know just got the million dollars for somebody. Who you going to call? The person I know that got somebody a million dollars, that's who I'm going to call. What are you talking about? I got these people in the chat room talking about not Pablo, question mark. You know who didn't call Pablo? David Chang. He knows him too. And you know what he got for not calling Pablo? A million dollars. Like, what's so damn hard about this? I mean, I'm sure I got a lot of people I can think about. Like, if I went through my phone, I could come up with some pretty uh, compelling choices. Um, I'll actually tell you, all right, the person that I would probably call is somebody that I ain't talked to in God knows how long, like damn near 20 years, I think. Cause you know, I did, uh, was it the Honda campus all-star challenge, like the trivia contest with the black schools, right? Like I did that. I'm in the hall of fame over there, right? I'm pretty good at that. But I learned as I watch Jeopardy more and more as I get older, like I ain't a shark as I used to be, but I used to be the man um, on the Honda Campus All-Star Challenge uh, streets, man. Morehouse got this dude. He was a freshman when I was a senior, and I don't know my man personally. I do not. I've had a handful of conversations with him. Um, And it's not very easy for me to, like, feel like I really dislike somebody that I don't know. But 20 years later, I am pretty sure that I, like, legitimately don't like this dude. I, this is totally unfair at this point. Like, he might have turned into a fine young man and learned some lessons and all this stuff. He was mad. Ha- like, like he was haughty with his. You know what I mean? A bunch of unnecessary enunciation in casual settings. Um, but that's who he was, whatever. But I tell you this, that motherfucker knew a bunch of stuff. Like, he walked in there knowing more stuff than me. And, I like, at that point in my life, I didn't think that was possible. Like, that dude, I would call him. I, I would humble myself to call this dude for Morehouse to be like, yo, help me get this million dollars. But I'm going to tell you this part right now. I wouldn't give him a dime of it. Now, it's all staying with me, right? I got enough smart friends that I feel like will do it for free. Or take whatever I give at the end as a tip. You dig? Uh, damn, like, I'm trying to think of like who I would call that y'all might know. You know, I, I, like, I just know a bunch of people at this point. But yeah, no, I'm going back to Mina Kimes. She's already proven that she can do it. Like, you know what that's like? Like, imagine if you had the first round of the draft in the sports league, like the NFL draft, the NBA draft, whatever it was, right? And then you got to watch a season of that draft, a season of those people in the pros. And then the next year you get the number one pick in the draft, but you get to pick from the people that played last season. All right, well, I just saw Mina Collins win rookie of the year. She the number one pick. Appreciate the questions. See what else we got here. Has there ever been another Kevin Hart where someone is on top of the comedy world, but seemingly everyone says that they aren't funny? I mean, I feel like that's applied to quite a few white people. Like, I don't know if we necessarily say they were on top per se, but I feel like there's a lot, at least for me, at least, there's lots of white people uh, that fall under that classification. Like, the thing with Kevin Hart That dude's been everywhere for like seven years. That's what's wild to me. He has been everywhere for seven years. 
And I don't find him to be unfunny. But he's not like uproariously, like you got to remember that bit, everything else, kind of funny. And this is what I want to know. And I'm just curious about this. Like, are there Kevin Hart stands? Because he's reaching a point where he's going to need some stands. Because if he keeps doing like asshole stuff in public, it's going to become difficult for people to have a neutral opinion on him. And if you can't have a neutral opinion and you don't have stands, then what do you think that means? Huh, this is an interesting question. Is this going to be the first generation where there aren't any famous black men who don't have a... Okay, I think you're asking if this is the first generation where there are no famous black men who have a process in their hair, right? Like George Benson tells a story about talking to James Brown after he got the process out of his hair and was wearing his hair natural. And James Brown came up to him and said, basically, why'd you do that? And he said, James, I just want to wear my hair as it grows. And James said, ain't never been no singer that ain't never had that. Ain't never been no good singer who didn't do nothing to his hair. And the dude was like, what about Otis Redding, James? That's it, Otis Redding. That's the only one. Now, never mind Sam Cooke. I guess he never got around to that one. But James Brown believed that you were not a real singer unless you did something to your hair. But now that you bring this up, it's the process-free era. How long? Because Snoop, like we still had cats doing perms in like the late 90s and 2000s, like on some pimp shit. But yeah, like for the last, I guess like 15 years, it's been pretty much process free. And I say that so that you youngsters will understand that it's been done before. This is not the way for you to rebel against us before you get this bright-ass idea, okay? It's been done before. It's not new territory, okay? You hear me? All right, all right. You know, because young people always think they're the first to come up with everything, and that's why they do whatever it is, because they want to be the first, right? Right? You're not going to be the first, which is to say, don't do it. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Since your sister writes fiction books, you don't read them? I don't read fiction. People asking me about somebody named G Herbo. Who the fuck is G Herbo? Is this the dude in Chicago that got caught running that scam? You think I know anything about those people? I am 40 years old. I did read the story. Well, I tried to read the story, except apparently I read too many Chicago Tribune uh, articles already, so I could not read it. But I I feel like maybe I should be flattered by the fact that y'all are asking me about somebody called Herbo. I'm trying to understand where it is that we raise kids in a place such to the point where somehow you think you sound cool calling yourself a herd. Am I I saying it right? It's Herbo, right? He don't feel nothing about that? Like, would you call yourself a herd? And like, his first name is Herbert. So what? 
He didn't have a middle name. People like his first name is literally Herbert. So what? Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. I take it you saw the Bodega tweet and her defenders. Are most people you come across in New York City like this? I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't really just be like talking to strangers. Um, and this is the thing I wondered about that person because I don't know anything about her, right? Like, I don't know how it got to a point that anybody was even paying attention to her tweets. But let me tell you something about New Yorkers generally. Forget just saying that, like, New Yorkers don't know anything outside of New York. You can't even say New Yorkers don't know anything outside of their borough. New Yorkers don't really know nothing outside of their neighborhoods. Like, that's one of the kind of drawbacks of this place. One of the drawbacks can be in a lot of ways is since there's so much stuff in such a small geographic area. You don't really have to go anywhere else, like unless you explicitly want to. They don't know nothing but that. They know like a six block radius from where they are. Like that's where they are. And so, yeah, you go have a New Yorker who says something like that. Do you have these things in other places? Because they don't really know anything about other places. The thing that this is where the difference is, though between like the New York bodega and the places, you know, the things in other places. Cause like the, the collection of items that she discussed that didn't really hold up. Bodegas are, however, they got a little bit of everything where you always ask the question as to how they got it in the first place. Right? Like, like, like you could have possibly put in an order for this. Like why, why have you had these pantyhose up here for the last seven months? How often does somebody come in here and just be like, damn, I need some pantyhose. But the thing is, there tends to be somebody who's like, yo, I need some pantyhose. Where can I, I bet the bodega got them. And you can go there, right? That's not as likely to be at your corner store in the other places in America. But yes, everywhere else has corner stores. The difference, the main difference is in New York, the bodega is just some dude who owns the place. The corner store is 7-Eleven. You know what I'm saying? It's connected to the sit-go. Like, like it's centered around the gas station, which something they don't have in New York City. Like, obviously, there's a couple here and there. You know what I'm saying? But, like, the gas station is not, like, a part of life. That's what the gas station is for everywhere else. Because you go up in the gas station, you'll find a little of everything. You go up in Walgreens. You'll find a little of everything, but the collection of a little of everything in the bodega, plus the fact that you can get a bacon, egg, and cheese, it's a little different. It is a bit different. She could have played that differently if she had mentioned the fact that, like, you know, you can get you some hot food made to order. Because, yeah, they be food at the 7-Eleven, but ain't nobody back there cooking it. Ain't nobody that remembers it when you walk in the door. All right, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. 
Lance, somebody asked a question about do I have any favorite Christmas songs or artists. Can you put the, the Christmas song playlist in the chat for the people? Why doesn't Busta Rhymes get mentioned more when discussing all-time great rappers? His discography is pretty rock solid. His discography is solid at best, and that's the problem. Busta Rhymes does not have a classic album. Busta Rhymes, and look, there are a lot of like Hall of Fame acts through time who don't really have like a standout classic album. Queen, for example, is a rock band. That's one of those, the greatest hits is a much better situation than you get going from album to album. That really happens. But generally, if you are a rapper who emerged after the mid-80s, we're not really going to look at you as an all-time great unless you put out an all-time great album. I like Extension Level Event a lot, but I recognize that not everybody else likes it in that way. That's the whole reason. Because when it just comes strictly down to Yo, this motherfucker can rap. Ain't a whole lot of people out rapping Buster Rhymes. Anytime, any place, anywhere. He is an incredible rapper. And he's made some dope singles in the videos and everything else. Like, he is a Hall of Famer. But he's a Hall of Famer without, like, that one great season. Has some great games. Not the great season. Appreciate the question. See what else you got here. Should we be nervous about the coming to America sequel or just enjoy it for whatever it might be? I have talked to a couple of people over the last few months who were not affiliated with the project, but knew some things about the project. And they say it's incredible. Hey, don't ask me if it's true, but they say it's really, really funny. This is what I do think and why I, I don't think I would be that nervous about it. I have a hard time believing that Eddie would mess this up. Like, I don't think this is one that Eddie, I don't think that's a black mark that Eddie can afford. Like, Eddie's willing to do Norbit and all that stuff for the checks. Like, that's one thing. I don't think he'd be willing to go back and mess this up just for a check. I just don't think so. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. I'm going on my first real deep dive on Prince. How many classic albums do you think he has? Um, Dirty Mind, Controversy, 1999, Purple Rain, Sign of the times. I think those are kind of like incontrovertibly classic records. Um, Parade is right there, right there. But I think it's fair to say like not quite. Batman is right there, right there. If it's a little bit weird, it's right there, right there. But I can see how, you know, people might say it falls short. Um, the Love Symbol album. That's dope as hell, too. Like, I feel like that one gets forgotten. The one that I've had to, like, really get back into over time is Around the World in a Day. Like, I'd sold that one short for a very, very, very long time. Um, but I'd say those five are the ones that are like, yeah, we don't really need to argue about this. 
But that's also like according to the Prince standard, you know, like it's that high because being surrounded by the other ones, like being surrounded by those great ones kind of can make you underestimate how good some of the other ones are. Love Sexy is very good. Let me tell you the thing about Love Sexy that is interesting. And for those of you who don't know about this, Prince put out Love Sexy in the height of the compact disc era. And, you know, compact disc lets you, you know, we have a generation of kids who don't know anything about CDs. This has just dawned on me. Okay, kids. So we had records, right? They were vinyl. You know, you see that they're back. Okay. So it was those. And then it went from vinyl to cassette tapes. I don't really know if y'all even know anything about tapes, to be honest, but like it's a, it's a tape and it runs through a thing and it reads the sound off of the thing and then it gets played out. And that was cool. It gave you a little because you could like fast forward, which isn't something that you could really do with a record. You kind of could, but you were like guessing, you know what I'm saying, where you dropped the needle or whatever. And before the record, well, not before the record, but before uh, the tape, there was the eight track. But the problem with the eight track was you couldn't record. I mean, rewind. So if you missed the point on the A-track, and this is before I was born, but if you missed the point on the A-track, you just had to wait for the whole thing to play all the way around again. And so eliminating all the problems of the technology with a compact disc. And a compact disc was about like this big. It had seventy. It could hold up to 74 minutes of music. There was a player that shot a laser onto the joint, and it would come out, like all that stuff, right? All right. But again, the advantage of the compact disc was you could fast forward from track to track. So it's like it combined the best of the record with the best of the tape. And so you could just jump from track to track. And if you wanted to listen to a track again, you just hit a button and boom, you'd be right back to that track or boom, you could go back a few. Like this is a really, really big deal at the time. So what does Prince do? Prince puts out a compact disc that's one track, 47 minutes. Right. That was Love Sexy. Here's the thing, though. His argument, which I thought was contrived because I thought he was just being contrarian, but his argument was that this album is best consumed in sequence. And guess what? He's right. If you try to talk about Love Sexy as just the sum of its parts, it ain't going to hit you like that, right? Now, it's got some, like, bangers. Um, I like Alphabet Street a lot. Um, It's got Alphabet Street. It's got, uh, which one is that? Dance On. That's what I'm thinking about. It's got Dance On. It's got Anesthesia. And maybe the best back-to-back two songs in the whole catalog, which is when two are in love, taking you into I Wish You Heaven. Like, it's got a bunch of dope stuff. But it really only works if you listen to all of it at one time. Now, something that Prince never could have considered when he had done this is, I can't put the love sexy stuff on my Prince playlist because Love Sexy on the streaming services only exist as the one, like, 47-minute track. Because it's not broken down. By the way, dude, in the chat room, talk about the Alphabet Street lyrics blew me. Hey, man, I remember the moment in my life when I finally understood, excuse me, 
I don't mean to be rude, but I guess tonight I'm just not in the mood. So if you don't mind, I would like to watch. That little motherfucker just be asking him for anything. Appreciate the questions. Dude said, what's something that you noticed about a girl that made you say, oh, I don't need to be here? Example, her brothers or her music choices. I'll just use this as an opportunity to tell a story. I was with my homeboy once, and this woman hit me up. And I was like, yo, meet us here. She met us at the spot. And she was like, cool, well, what y'all trying to do tonight? I'm like, whatever. She said, all right, well, look, let's make, I got to make this run and stop by somebody's crib right quick, and then we're going to roll out. And I said, cool. And so we rolled out with her. This is in L.A. We rolled out with her. And she had us, like, she had us out there. Like, we was in some hood shit, right? Like, me and my boy both had, like, he, him more so than me. But we both been around enough of it. We wasn't shook. But, like, we walk in this house. We don't know who any of the people are. None of them know who we are. And she has just brought us in here. And there was a couple dudes there. We talked to them, and they was real cool. And, you know, she has, there were some girls there or whatever. And so, we, like, we don't know anything about why we're here, what, whatever it is, right? Like, we don't know any of it. I just remember at some point she was talking to her girls, and I guess she was trying to get one of them to roll with her. And... I just remember hearing her say, girl, they better looking than these dudes y'all here with. And yeah, we needed to go. Right then. We needed to go. The problem was we rolled with her. So it's like we couldn't just we couldn't just jet. We just had to be like, man, I sure hope they didn't hear that. You know, like, yo, just so you know, I don't necessarily agree with her in her assessment of our relative attractiveness. And dude talk about no Uber in them days. Even if it was Uber, first of all, that neighborhood did not look like a Uber, a neighborhood where it would just be like two minutes away. That looked like one of the neighborhoods where Uber would be like, nah, I ain't going over there. Uh, decline. Anybody done any research on that, by the way? Right? Like how hard it is, is it to catch an Uber in the hood? I don't know. But either way it goes, yeah, she's like, hey, better looking than these dudes y'all here with. And she didn't say dudes. I just had to sub that in. Whew. Yeah, I was ready to go. I was ready to go. Yeah, it's a good time to stop here. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We try to do this thing a couple times a week. My man, Lance, I mean, no, nah, that's the other podcast. We try to do this one about once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. And you can also find us at the Google Play Store. And I'll talk to you guys in a little while. Take it easy.